All right. So as we are all constantly reflecting on uh, our classes, our students' experiences, um, so many things up in the air, given everything that's gone around. But one, one thing in particular that's key is uh, assessment. So how are we all thinking about assessments right now in our classes? Um, Chad, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I think at this point, you know, in my career, having done this for many years now, I can honestly say I've, I've never been having more fun doing what I'm doing. I'm genuinely having a good time being in the classroom. And I feel bad for saying that because of the fact that, you know, we're going through this pandemic and, and I recognize how hard it is, but it, it's been a very positive experience. And I think a lot of that is because when I'm thinking about assessments and I'm thinking about kind of where we were or where I was with traditional grading and stuff, I'm at that point where I really am continually engaging in conversations, you know, and that's, that's the spirit. That's where I've always wanted to be. It's all about dialogue. I, I don't think about grade stuff anymore. I don't split hairs. I don't think about, well, if I want to, if, if I believe the student kind of earned this grade, how do I make that work with this rubric I've designed? Like that's all gone, you know? And I used to stress so hard about those things where I would, I, I can't tell you how many hours, and we all know this, we develop these complex grading systems, right? And they exist and we think that they're, they're going to solve all the problems. And then we meet these human beings yeah. and then we get to know them and then we read their work and we go, oh, this is a, this is a B plus. Now, how do I make my rubric turn into a B plus? You know, how do I crunch the numbers so that it works? And mm -hmm. I, I hated that. And I'm, all that's gone. Now I, I spend so much time just talking to students, you know, and, and ex exchanging ideas. And it's such a good feeling, you know, it, it allows me to, it, it, it's brought a level of humanity that I didn't know was possible in teaching. And so I'm very happy. So that's where I am right now. Yeah, that's cool. where I am right now. Awesome. So your thinking about assessments is whatever leads me to more conversations with students and away from this anxiety over making this weird mechanism fit this actual living <laughs> uh, 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 learning, right, uh, that I need to assess. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Cool. Yep. You know, I I feel like I'm in the same place, Chad. And I just wanted to ask you, like, some of that comes from like our evolution in our our own professional learning and and understanding of like what's important and what's not, you know. And I, I totally agree. Like, it's more I'm much more concerned with learning, right, and and the learning process than the kind of the outcome or or the grade. And I think that that's where our focus should be, in my opinion, should be on that learning process. But do you think that that comes from like, look, we're, we're in these positions of, of being tenured faculty. We've been doing this for a number of years now. Does that come with the experience and privilege of position? Or, or do you think this is something that people could come to when they're just starting out with, with um, you know, doing the, what we do? Well, so, OK, uh, a couple of things. I, I mean, and Jen, this is a good opportunity for you because you work with people who are going to be teaching, you know, and so they're going to begin their careers, ideally in the place where we are. Like in my case, this is me, uh, 15 years of really struggling, you know, splitting hairs and, and with just being overwhelmed with grades and fitting students into Excel sheets, right? Into columns like this student is allocated this many pixels of, of meaningful space, right? But, but I would say, no, Sean, it's true. Like, 
part of the reason I'm really enjoying what I'm doing is because of the load that I have. There's no question about that. You know, I'm full-time faculty, right? I teach uh, fewer classes, say, than, you know, an associate faculty member teaching at multiple campuses. I, I have a small amount of reassigned time for for some of my committee work, right? And so I recognize that I'm able to engage in way more meaningful conversations given the fact that I do serve a smaller number of students, right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean it can't work, you know, it just, you have to think about, for instance, how much are you actually assigning in your class and how much of it is, is actually essential to, to, to what you're trying to do in your classes. And one of the problems I'm having right now, kind of early on in my, um, what I call promise grading, uh, a career is that I just assign too much. And one of the great things is, is that I discovered it, I actually don't need to assign that. And it would be so much better if I just did it in class with the students as opposed to assigning it, you know, because part it, partly too, I don't even spend the meaningful time that I should addressing it as an assigned work. You know, I don't give it the feedback that it deserves. But if I did it in class, not only would we spend more time talking about it, but students being able to work on it together would be way more meaningful. So, so there's that thing. And then two, um, to your point about kind of where we are in our careers and being in a privileged position, I think, you know, Jen's working with those kinds of students now. And so I would ask Jen, like, Jen, is it, <laughs> uh, Jen, do students, do young uh, educators need to suffer the way that we have suffered? Or can they right off the bat dive into the joys of ungrading, contract teaching, promise grading, yeah, you know? So first of all, I love what you're saying about working through assignments together in class. And I think that's one of the, the positive things that's happened to me in my teaching during the pandemic and emergency teaching and then eventually online teaching um, where we're, we're starting projects together in class, which has been really nice because then people know kind of like what they need to do when they, they sit down and start uh, working at home. So yeah, like there's different moments of feedback. And one of those moments is in the class where we're all working together and then everyone has their colleagues with them, students have their colleagues with them. Um, and so a lot of that assessment, and maybe we'll get into this in the conversation, can come peer to peer, colleague to colleague in the class. We, we're not the only assessor. Um, and actually seeing myself as one reader in the class of many has freed me from a lot of like, probably myths I had about assessment and needing to be an expert or something, <laughs> an expert reader for students. So I, I really like what you're saying about bringing things into the class and also like having students working together. I will say I was one of the teachers that that like learned how to do contract grading pretty early on. So I would actually spend the first couple of weeks of class kind of I don't know if we're allowed to cuss on the podcast. Oh, I fucking <laughs> forgot to say that. <laughs> yeah, cuss away. Only when it's a no, whenever you want to. <laughs> as, Jen, as I say, as we'd say in class, when it's rhetorically appropriate. <laughs> well, I'm trying to translate inwardly and I can't think of another word for shit talking because I really mean shit talking. Good. So students and I, the first couple of weeks of class, we would sort of like reflect on educational experiences and talk about grades and grading because I was just kind of like interested in it. So the first couple of weeks were shit talking grades and we would read like readings, like sort of Jesse Stonelish stuff, although I didn't know of him at the time, but it's kind of like, let's reflect on our own experiences with writing, our own anxieties with writing, with grades, with education, um, and talk about what kind of class we want to build and make. And it felt like really disingenuous then to be like, 
okay, cool. And here's the syllabus and my grading system. And also I just, I felt like I was not being a good reader for students. And so I was really frustrated with the way the first couple of years of my early teaching went. And I was, so at this time um, I had moved out to Portland and I was at Portland Community College and I had a 755 quarter load. So I, wa I, I was one of the adjuncts who was experimenting with grading. And I actually emailed a former professor I had at San Diego State. And that's how I learned contract grading as a student in his class. And I didn't know what it was called, but I emailed him and asked about that thing you did that helped us all learn. <laughs> and he sent me his syllabus and his grading contract. And I took this like advanced level upper division uh, literature syllabus and I tried to make it into like a, a first year comp developmental education syllabus and a grading contract. And I honestly, I was just, I laid it out for my students the first time I used it because I, I looked young. I, I was young at the time. And I was like, y'all, I really hate grades and I'm sick of it. Like, can we try this thing? I don't know how it's going to go, but let me know and we'll work on it together. And I promise like nobody's going to fail this class because we're, we're experimenting with this grading system. And they were all on board. And some of the best feedback I got was those early years where I was just very honest with students about what I was trying. And I mean, they helped me build a contract that I, I use in some form or another, another to this day. So I'm super grateful. Shout out to my Portland Community College former students for helping me build that. But I mean, I was afraid of the English department. Um, I was afraid of my colleagues. I was adjunct. I wanted to get that next class and be employed the following quarter. Yeah. So I actually like hid what I was doing pretty much and mm -hmm. made sure that I could trust my colleagues before starting discussions about it. But, but like back in the day, I would, this was when I used printers. So I printed all these scholarly articles and pedagogy and I had it in my, my office. And I was like, I'm going to have these articles ready in case they come for me. Nice. And, and they, had they, I had them ready and they never came for me. Like nobody ever rushed into my office to throw me out, uh, to tell me I can never be a teacher again. Like nothing, nothing happened to me. So yeah, that's sort of how I, I came to contract grading and, yeah. I mean, every year I learn something new about it. That that feels like maybe how students feel when, you know, these grades are so much emphasis and um, there's so much pressure for, for certain grades to transfer and to get the degree and to, you know, build this great transcript and stuff. And they might feel the same way, like, oh, you know, how is this going to be received by this faculty member? Instead of, again, like looking at the overall process of if they're learning something from the class. And so, you know, when, when I hear all of this, and thank you for, for sharing your early experiences, we have James here. And James, you are a fairly new instructor. Do you feel any pressure as you hear these ideas about um, ungrading? And we've talked about this before and maybe contract grading and, and putting less emphasis on grades. How are you feeling about that as somebody who's kind of just starting out? Well, honestly, well, thank you, first of all. But it's interesting because... I want to try it, but because this is all I, I've ever known as a recent student, right? This is all I've ever known is points, points, points. And, you know, this works towards your grade. Now that I'm listening to my students now, like as I'm teaching, it's like, oh, uh, professor, can we, will there be points for this? Or can I get extra points for doing that? I'm like, the emphasis is completely on this point scale. Will there be extra credit so I can get more points, more points? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And, and speaking of like grading, I feel like 
yeah, I can grade for them and everything, but it, I feel like it would be much more rich personally, you know, if they could read each other's stuff and, and work with each other. Cause what I teach is sociology. So it's community, right? We want to build this community, but if all we're focused on is just these points, it's like, the, who cares about what we're learning? As long as we get points for it, that's what matters. And you know, that's, that's something I'm really picking up on. It's like, okay, points are important. So in turn, unfortunately, I would say, is that I'm trying to offer more points or things since that's the seems that seems to be what they want. So I'm like, oh, I'm just like feeding this like horrible narrative, like points, points, points. So I'm actually here today, not only taking show notes, part of the safe pod, but actually listening to you all what's going on with this. Cause I really, really want to learn more about this and implement this as a new faculty. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So there's so many threads that I want to pull on. I, I want to come back to points and cause I know Chad, you have ideas about this, <laughs> but, but Joe, I want to bring you into the conversation and, and I around. So I, what I'm hearing both Jen and Chad talk about is this thinking about assessment has shifted where and when the work gets done to in the classroom. And it's also shifted the where and when the feedback gets delivered to the classroom. And I know that that's your jam, right? Um, mm -hmm. So you're you're in that space, kind of flip, flip teaching, that kind of stuff. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like I'm also bringing in a very different perspective on grading coming in from STEM. Perfect. Because um, yeah, so there are definitely things that, yeah, that that actually is correct. And that actually wasn't, you know, so, cool. um, but yeah, I, uh, and I think I can also speak to the being a young educator in that sense. Um, but I was doing a lot of what I do now back in grad school, not to say I haven't changed, but like when I got my first class as a grad student and they told me you have full ownership of this class, like, great. Awesome. I'm going to change everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, in terms of where I'm at now, I mean, I see like final letter grades themselves as the necessary evil in a sense. And we're kind of beholden to that at a community college for transfer requirements and all that good stuff. Right. But I've shifted as much as possible to, in terms of the student focus back to the learning process itself and the feedback and the comments and the dialogue that we have in class. So it, it's awkward in physics too, because we typically have a math requirement coming in and years of high school trauma, right. Of like, anti-math or even people that like are clearly good enough to be in the physics class say, I'm not good at math. And I'm like, you're lying to me. You're full of shit because you clearly got this far and you made it okay. So you're definitely good enough to be here. Yeah. Um, so a lot of what I do at the start is like deconstructing traditional grades, what they mean, talking about what the research on neuroscience says, what learning and teaching actually are like, like, you know, how the first time you learn a topic like at best, you're not really going to retain more than 60 to 70%, right? And if that's that your best, why would we call a 90% an A? Like who, who said that was a thing that should be the thing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so there's a lot of that talk and my, my grades are weighted at the end. And I only give letter grades on like for the final like grade for the class. My tests, all my other assignments, no letter grades show up. It's just a percent scale that roughly reflects how much did you get out of this? Um, it's informed by a lot of feedback, but I'm still roughly at the same spot in terms of that when it comes to grading, because it, it's worked really well. And I get a lot of good feedback and commentary on, you know, like, and because it also motivates discussions because people then think, man, we're not assessing learning. And then they, they flip back and think about their own learning in the process. And, um, so first semester student goes from that transition typically of traditional grading and deconstructing that for 16 weeks and kind of seeing the benefit. And then they come back for a second semester, even a third semester, because we have sequences, right? And they're so different. <laughs> they have such a much bigger perspective on what 
their own teaching and learning career is about and what their own pathways are about. So um, it's not necessarily an outcome of flipping your class, but you kind of have to do that if you really want to make the most out of that environment and that structure. Yeah. Are you finding similar though, the kind of the approach that you're taking that, that a lot of sort of what getting at what Chad said, that you're having these cool conversations with students more often than you're having that sort of like, how do I fit this into that kind of space? And I would say no, because I never really started off that way. Because <laughs> my first class, class that I taught back in grad school, like as a as a instructor of record, I think is the right term. Like I, I had already switched to this. I was kind of like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit out, spend hours grading points for homework. Homework's optional in my class, by the way, too. So, so I, I kind of said, you know what, this isn't worth my time, and it doesn't help the students learn. Um, so it's always been that, and if anything, online. I've engaged in more feedback because I can't talk to them in person. I'm not, I can't shortcut the the verbal part, you know, and I'm just typing more and more, basically, <laughs> just type away because I'm thankfully a fast typer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that that's kind of one of those myths. There there's some myths that are in um, associated with different types of grading, contract grading, and ungrading. And, and one of them is just just that that like there's there's less work for the instructor right like you're you don't have to grade anything and i think as chad is saying and joe th th there's actually more work there, there's more feedback there's more conversation with the students there's more dialogue and and everything's not contingent on what james was talking about these these points you know how often when we use a point system do we hear students say when we're doing you know you're you're introducing an activity or or a discussion like does this count you know, and, and that question really like does something to me because I'm like every everything counts, right? Uh, if you mean it, does it count for points? I kind of feel like at this point it's like whose line is it anyway? Like the points are meaningless. Like you can have ten thousand points for this assignment. That's fine. Exactly. And and there's other myths too. Like uh, you know, with ungrading, I hear things like students will just give themselves A's, right? And I have found that not to be the case, that they are actually harsher on themselves than I would be on them. And then another myth is that like uh, students won't do the work. Why would they even show up? Why would they engage in the activities? Well, because the class is engaging, because they are learning something, because they feel part of a community. They feel like this class is a unique experience. And I think that's something we all try to achieve. But if, if we take away this point structure and we take away, you know, the, this transactional kind of um, relationship that we're having with the student, then we can have a more authentic relationship that's based on us learning together. And so uh, are you finding that in the kind of work that you're doing, Jen, with, with um, and, and, and specifically what kind of assessment are, are you doing right now and how has that evolved to where you are right now? Um, so I really like what Joe said about um, just having conversations with students about learning, because I feel like one of the great things about sort of methods of ungrading and contract grading is it defamiliarizes these processes that we take for granted. Like we think it has to be this way, but actually like it doesn't. And so we're building our own capacity to re-see and remake our own classrooms. And then we're helping students develop the assessment literacy necessary to better understand their own educational histories and their own journeys and to be more resilient. Like if you get a C, like sometimes, dude, that's just the way it shakes out because <laughs> your teacher is a new teacher or they're grading on a curve or like there are 
so many structural inequalities built into the institution. Like mm -hmm. don't quit school, don't internalize that failure. Like sometimes you're enough and like opening the door to those co important conversations about learning and about education can be really meaningful, I think, for like teachers and students alike so that we can reimagine something differently. Where I'm at with migrating contract it is sort of like kind of pulling on that thread and thinking even more deeply about like, how do I make contract grading more meaningful? Because I, and I will say like, my research that I do sort of explores the different ways that people define contract grading and ungrading. So just because someone says ungrading, like that's not a set of practices at all. Like there's just as much diversity in ungrading and just as much diversity in contract grading as there are points, percentages, letter grades. Like it, it's sort of like those terms at some point don't really mean anything and you have to ask follow-ups. But I will say I have the kind of contract grading that's tiered structures and students do a certain amount of work for each tiered grade. And I like it because I feel like that sort of addresses the problem of the end of term transcript grade. And I want to be transparent about it. And I don't want people to stress about their grades. So having a checklist is awesome in that way. But what it kind of forecloses that I've been unhappy with is just like, the element of surprise or like difference or emergent design in a way. Like sometimes I, I feel like I've, I've shut down any possibilities outside of what I've designed, which I don't like doing because there's, you know, 20 really smart people that I'm working with in that one class. But so I've, I've sort of like moved into more self-reflection, but I also have a lot of personal anxiety tied to self-reflection as like a tenure track faculty who has to write these assessment narratives <laughs> to keep my job every year. And so here I am like trying to play with my contract grading and incorporate more meaningful moments of self-reflection for students. But I'm over here as faculty, like suffering because I feel like I have to argue to keep my job. Interesting. And I'm like, okay, I need to, so I'm at the place actually. And if you all have tips and tricks or people want to to email us later. I'd love to know what people are doing around ungrading and self-reflection because I don't want my contract to be uh, like overly directive and I don't want it to, to be checkboxy. So people are just going through the motions like traditional grades. And I think a lot of times with contract grading, even though intentions can be good, the, the effect is that they can reproduce some of the harm of traditional grading. So I'm sort of stuck at this point where I want to move into more self-reflection. But I think as a student and as faculty and as a human, I haven't had a good, good enough experiences with my own self-reflection yet in, in educational uh, and professional spaces to know what that looks like, yeah. if that makes sense. And so I would love to have more reflection in class. I just want to make sure students are enjoying it and it's meaningful and it doesn't cause them to suffer or to be confused or to feel like they have to argue for their grade. Yeah. That, so that's really, so I, the way you're describing the checkboxes, right. And sort of within this tier of a contract and it, it's, and it sounds like, okay, if you do these things by the end, you get this grade. Is that right, Jen? Yeah. I okay, said so nodding yes with the mute. Z. Yes. Correct. Yes, perfect. Okay, perfect. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I think that's how I actually conceive of points in my asynchronous classes. It's a lot of like, you did it, you didn't do it things, right? And there's points attached to it, but those points will accumulate to this sort of basic tier. 
And then if you keep doing it beyond that, you kind of accumulate more points that nudges you beyond it or, or further, you know, to whatever. But that language is problematic. So, so here's this, this is the other thread I want to pull on. So contracts or points as like mile markers, like you are making progress, way to go. But also these things as signifiers. So we've kind of touched on that, that points are wrapped up with identities, like outcome grades become wrapped up with the, I'm bad at math, I'm good at English, right? But you're saying, Jen, this is also true of like our experience as faculty. It's I get to keep my job. I don't get to keep my job based on kind of how I'm navigating this tech check the box and do some reflection. Um, yeah, like we're all operating within these multiple sort of genres of assessment that control us and determine merit and value and worth. Yeah. Like everything from admissions policies, <laughs> like there are standards everywhere. Totally. Um, and so this conversation, like just sort of denormalizing grading helps me think in bigger picture terms about just the work that needs to be done in education. Yeah. And I'm with you. I, I don't, I want emergent behavior. I want emergent knowledges created in my classes. Right. And so, um, so Chad, what do you think of that? It, it, um, it, well, <laughs> I mean, when we talk about like being evaluated as a faculty member because of my position, you know, um, as a chair of Trek, I, I think about how we evaluate each other and the elements that are part of our, our evaluation process, you know, and the lack of, say, a letter, letter grade and how much more uh, narrative elements there are, right? And the kind of conversations, the pre observation conversation, the post observation conversation. And I'm not saying that it's a perfect process by any means, but those those are some of the really nice aspects of the process, right? Where you engage in conversations and dialogues and things like that, you know, in order to help someone uh, grow professionally and get them to where, where they would like to go, right? Um, imagine if that was our approach with all students, pre-observation, observation, post-observation conversation, narrative elements that, that replace all kinds of grades and things like that. And, mm -hmm. and what I think is really important to remind the listeners of is like, what you're all hearing today, it's not like some radical idea by six people in the room today. I mean, this stuff is happening at many schools, you know, um, Evergreen State, you know, up in Washington, they don't even use grades, you know, um, you don't have GPAs up there um, on your, your transcript is, is a narrative transcript, which wow. is like, you yeah. know, that that's really hard for some, for, for many of us to wrap our minds around, you know, another example, it's like, um, I was talking to my cousin years ago about how things were going because he got into Yale med school. I was like, how's it going? He's like, oh, it's good. Um, they don't have grades. And I'm like, what do you mean they don't have grades? And he goes, yeah, they, they just don't use grades. They, um, we take our classes, we discuss a lot of things, but yeah, we don't use grades. And, and that was years ago that he told me about that, you know, and it just yeah. blew my mind. And that really challenges the, the, the comments by folks who say things like, when they're challenging this kind of thinking about grades, they'll say, well, would you want your doctor to have gone through that kind right. of a, a system? Like, well, actually they do that at Yale, you know, so um, yeah. it doesn't really hold a lot of water. So yeah, any, anyways, Jen's comments about her experiences and kind of what we do with regard to faculty versus what we do with, with students. And I mean, the other thing too is we force students through this system for 12 years of their life and then, and, and they're, influenced by it right they're traumatized by it it leaves them insecure it leaves them walking these really specific lines 
And it's not like that once they leave. That's not the system that they encounter when it comes to how they're observed, how they're evaluated and stuff. And so um, uh, there's a real disconnect, I guess, in that sense. You know, I, I think I, I was writing down some notes. You know, they leave these our, our students, the students that have so much to say, that have so much lived experience that we would love to get out of them we create a system that prevents them from ever letting it out so that they walk the line and get the grade that we say that they need to get, you know? And I mean, to James's point, James, when you were talking about points, um, I, I was I was thinking how I'm a, a young parent, right? I have two young children, ages four and two and a half. And um, I mean, I, I think I'm a way better teacher than I'm a parent just by how long I've been doing this, right? And the when I think about... Uh, contract grading or promise grading versus traditional grading. I think of the worst, uh, some of the, my worst parenting moments, which is to say those conditional parenting moments where I say, if you don't eat this, you can't go play outside, right? That That's basically like what so much of teaching boils down to, right? If you don't do my lame exercise that I haven't provided <laughs> any any meaningful context for that you need to get into this program that's going to put you in debt, right? Uh, then you're not going to get the grade, right? And that, that's what we do all the time. If you don't do this, you don't, you don't get this. And so it's like, why are they supposed to care about it? You know? And uh, that's what I struggled with for so long. It's like, I, I mean, the, the, the idea of grades in general to me is like the bigger issue in one sense, uh, the existence of grades is really like a, a motivation crisis, right? You have a lot, a lot of people that don't know how to motivate students. They don't know how to engage mm. students. And so what's the motivating factor? It's grades. But if you took grades away, what would bad teachers be left with? They'd be totally exposed, right? Why would you do it if you, if you didn't have to try to get a grade? And, and I mean, there's so many good teachers that know how to engage that's, that do use points, that do use grades. But I, I think what we're talking about today, if I had to kind of... Um, put it into where, what did I, uh, hold on, I want to get it right, you know, I want to oh, get it right. <laughs> what did, I have to cut back to it, because um, they were the good words, but <laughs> too many of them. No, you just, well, you just gave us a lot of good words, Chad, and if you find it, let us know. I, you know, Jen talked about this too, of like, there's this, you know, self-worth tied to the grades, right, and, and, and that becomes so much of what we do and how we do it. And I like how you talked about the conditioning and socialization of the K through 12 and, and, and high school students in particular and, and students at our institution that want to transfer to a UC or a private school or even a CSU. There, there's just so much of like, how, how do I make sure that I'm in the best possible position that I could be in? And it's through these grades. That's, that's the first uh, priority. And, and James, you are at right now a um, dual enrollment program where you are teaching at a private college prep high school. And you've told me that, 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 that there's so much pressure on these students. And this is like mostly what's occupying their minds. Can you speak to that a little bit and, and the pressures that they're facing? Absolutely. So every Monday or, you know, every Tuesday or whatever, like the first week of class, I have them do the highs and lows where they, you know, share what their high of the week was or low of the week was. And for the past, I want to say, since the beginning of the semester, I would say all they've been thinking about is college apps, college apps, 
um, because they they kind of have to apply for different colleges, not just one. They have to they have to do like six or seven. And every single time um, they talk about their lows, it's like I was up late writing my college application and this, that, and the other. And I was like, man, what can we do to help you? You know, what in my mind, I'm like, what can I do to help you ease that? And you know, I try not to assign so much work, and yet I, you know, every night, the night of, like, uh, saying assignments due at 11:59 p.m. Just how Canvas has it, right? They're going to email me right away and say, "Hey, I'm so sorry. Can I still get points for this assignment? I had to work on my college app. I'm so sorry." They really apologize to me. I'm like, "Well, it's okay. You don't have to apologize. It's cool. You're letting me know. I'm very happy you let me know. Um, just get it in when you can. Take another week if you need to. And then when they write back." Oh my gosh, thank you so much. You're the greatest. I, I feel so relieved and this, that. And I'm like, man, all I did was give you an extension for a paper. You know, it's not that big of a deal, but to them, it's a humongous deal because now they can focus on getting these points, you know, these arbitrary points. And now you're making me re- rethink my whole system of grading now. Thanks a lot, guys. But <laughs> other than that, um, yeah, there's this huge, just elevated stress levels. And on top of that, um, their parents are really in their ear too, because like, it's funny, whenever they send me an email, they, the email also goes to their parents. So it's like all this different anxiety is being built up based on like, if they got that assignment and if, and if they got the points for it, or if they missed a day, can I make up those points? I'm like, don't worry about it. It's cool. You know, but it is what it, that's, that's where they're at. So I get that. Yeah. And we're, we're still recording here in, in zoom world. Uh, we're recording this podcast in zoom. And so Joe dropped this little nugget in the chat. I'm going to ask him to elaborate. He says, uh, and for STEM grades don't even matter that much for graduate school admissions, which I think would be a surprise to a lot of people, just as the Yale, uh, no grading at the medical school would be a surprise to people. So can you talk about that disconnect, Joe? Yeah, sure. And this probably is a STEM specific thing in a lot of ways, because, um, for most STEM PhD programs, at least, um, your research slash TAing like is like your stipend is guaranteed and you typically aren't paying tuition out of pocket. So um, the way most graduate school departments view taking on a graduate student is it's like an investment uh, and they want to make sure that the pre- people they're admitting are actually going to stick around for that investment to pay off in terms of publications and grants and et cetera. Right. So, and, you know, as it, it should come as no surprise to no one on this Zoom call, right? <laughs> uh, high grades don't necessarily mean that you're going to do well in the research world, right? Like if if you have demonstrated experience of research projects and you're on papers as an undergraduate and things like that, like that's, that's I don't say it's a direct like ticket into grad school, but it kind of almost is basically. <laughs> um, if your grades were a little weaker, like you were C's or B's, but you had like, you were on like two or three papers and you were in a group for a long time and you're the PI you were with like is writing something glowing about you're in, it doesn't really matter anymore because that signals to the graduate school admissions committee that, Oh, this is going to be a worthy investment there. This person's already ready for the research, the reality of the research world anyway. So I think that that's always a, a fun topic to, to, to bring up when I'm talking to my students that are interested in going to STEM uh, and that, and even though I'm in physics, I mean, we get everyone in STEM coming through our classes, right. From, engineers to biologists to chemists and even the handful of physicists I get every in my classes um, and they're always surprised to hear it too but you know in talking through it and the ones that happen to do honors projects in, in my class those are actually just basically like research projects <laughs> that's kind of how we have set them up in our physics program like they kind of see why it makes sense it's like yeah I actually gained a skill set from this and I learned to be uncomfortable and talk through it with you and we learned something together and they kind of see how it fits in the long, the bigger picture of being a scientist or engineer or whatever it is, right? This kind of brings us back to the initial point that Chad raised too in the beginning about assessment being a conversation. 
and building relationships and all the possibilities that open up uh, when we start to see assessment in new ways. I, I just want to add really quickly, like, um, I mean, to Jen's point, you know, I think one of the problems with grades is when you use grades, you can actually teach without engaging in dialogues, you know, um, that's, that's really unfortunate, but that's the truth is if you use, if, if we use traditional grading, we really don't have to engage in the kind of dialogues that are required, you know, when it comes to grading contracts or ungrading, whereas with what we're talking about today, the dialogue you know, it becomes the center in, in many ways, right? Or the relationship becomes the center or, you know, um, that connection becomes the center of it. And so, yeah, great, Jen, you're absolutely right. The, the grade becomes the message, you know? I was gonna say the, the answer, like the answer to bad teaching, right? Is not ungrading or grading contracts. Right. If you're a bad teacher, you're not going to solve that problem by suddenly taking this on. You're going to have more problems, actually, if you if you take this on. Uh, and I'd say that ungrading or um, contract grading or promise grading, it's really like the next step in good teaching. It, you know, it's it's where I think a lot of where we are, I, I like to believe, is like we found success and we want to continue to find more success. We want to continue to do things that are more equitable. We want to do things that allow for greater conversation that, that allow us to celebrate our students. And this is something that lends itself to that mission, you know? So uh, that's one thing that I, I've, I really like about what, what we're doing. I think. Yeah. And so like, this is, this goes to a question I ask on the first day of class to students and I, and I say, how can we best use our time together? Right. And, and if, you know, like Chad is saying, like, if it's just this kind of, here's the material, here's the lecture, here's the quiz, there's your point. Our relationship is much like a, with a student and a textbook, right? Like that's, that's kind of what we're reduced to because, you know, I tell them, you know, our jobs looked a lot different a uh, hundred years ago. It would be like if I, as a professor at a college, told you something, you're pretty much going to be like, well, that's what it is. Well, the jig is up, right? Like the information's out there. They can find this information anywhere. And so the facilitation of the learning by somebody who's a discipline expert, I think, is really what our job is now, right? And Chad, I, I kind of want to ask you this. I want to follow up with, uh, you know, you're saying that you're having the best time of your career right now. And, and I'm really happy for you for that. And, and it makes me um, hopeful. <laughs> and I think about when we're changing our assessment and grading strategies or structure, you know, it's more holistic than just changing and like just switching out this one way of grading for another, right? It, it's changing probably due, our, our thinking on due dates and rethinking our syllabi and our lesson plans. Can you talk about a little bit of your process there and, and um, how it's not just, okay, I'm going to just start doing these contracts instead of, you know, doing this point system. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the biggest thing for me, Sean, and the, what makes it work for me is flex the idea of flexibility is that you really, really, if you're very rigid and deadlines are really important and you, for some reason, believe that um, students are only taking your class, you know, this is not for you. Like <laughs> the, uh, uh, Who's other, classes, whose other classes might be taking? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm the center of the universe. Yeah. But uh, um, yeah, so flexibility has been really huge. Like, but that doesn't mean I don't have structure. Like I always, I, I like the bamboo metaphor, you know, bamboo is is rigid and, and strong when we need it to be, but it's incredibly flexible. You know, it, 
when we need it to be as well. And so I tend to teach that way. Uh, for instance, in my promise grading system, I have three tiers or three columns, right? If you want an A, B, or a C, you do these things. And then I have qualifying language down below that basically says, hey, I recognize life happens. Just do your best to communicate with me. Let me know, you know, and I'll work with you. And that, <laughs> and that has, that, bottom section has been far more important than the above kind of requirements for each one because the bottom line is we know this from our students because of the pandemic but even pre-pandemic right i mean our students just can't only do school they have so many other things going on and so i just have students emailing all the time like this happened i have somebody you know who had multiple deaths like in a, a couple week period you know and and um i'm just grateful that they're able to communicate and willing to share with me the way they do, you know, but a part of that has to do with the way that community has been established, the way that trust has been established, you know, and so if you are getting those kinds of emails from students, I think that's a credit to things that you've been doing, you know, from 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 day one. So, uh, Sean, as far as the what's what's kind of required to make that that shift is the flexibility aspect. Um, and then, you know, earlier we were talking about what we're what we're advocating for is more work. I'd say it's more meaningful work. You know, um, I would say I was doing a ton of work before under the old system, and it was really meaningless at times, and it was really stressful at times. It was really boring at times because I was just kind of looking for the key things to check off to see whether or not it was a pass or a no pass or a B or a C, you know, going through the motions. I'd done it so many times, whereas now it's like, and and we were talking about a lot of the stuff happening in the classroom. You know, a lot of it doesn't happen in the classroom, but there are these great classroom conversations that are now taking place. But there's also these great online conversations that are taking place. You know, whenever I don't know about you all, but when I get into a, an exchange with a student via speed grader, you know, where I'm talking like four comments or something, you know, back. That's totally. a big deal. Right. Yeah. That's a big deal. Awesome. Whoa. We're, I mean, that, that means that they're getting my announcement. They're getting my notification. They're reading it and then they're responding to it. And we're having a brief little, you know, five day long conversation. Via, I mean, that's like that's, that's the best. Right. That's the best. So, but it's that kind of moment just amplified through all aspects of the course, through assignments and things like that. I think that's what it can be. That's the the promise of what we're talking about here that gets us so excited about it, you know, and um, that's where I'm living these days. And that's why, even though I recognize it's so hard for so many of us and I'm stressed out all the time too, you know, but as far as the teaching and the connecting with students, I've never had it like this before. And I, I really love it. You know, I really do. James, did you want to jump in there? I do. Um, just really quick. And we, we are talking about the dangerous safe topics, right? I just want to ask the folks who have been implementing in this class in your classes so far is like, what about students who resist the ungrading? I mean, what happens when the student says, you know what, I, I, I want my points. I don't want to do this. Has that happened? Is that something that you've encountered? James, I'll just just real quick, because I was already talking, but I just surveyed my class uh, this week and I asked them three simple questions. Do you prefer promise grading or traditional grading? What do you like about promise grading and what do you dislike about promise grading? That's all I asked. I don't know if those are the best questions, but that's what I did. 100% of the respondents prefer promise grading. And as far as reasons went, kind of the two dominant themes that emerged were promise grading is way less stressful than traditional grading. And the other one that was great was promise grading doesn't force me to be perfect. And, and what, what wasn't said 
but I, I feel like it's connected and I need to tease it out because it's one of my goals is because I don't have to be perfect. I could be my authentic self. That's what I want to get more of, more out of, you know? And that's one reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I tell students, like, if you write an essay, you know, in my class, um, the system works basically twos, ones, and zeros. If you get a two, it's complete. A one is needs revising and a zero is nothing was submitted, you know? So the goal is to get a two, you know, but when I tell students, you can get a two, you know, if you had MLA formatting issues, that's not the, that's, that's not the concern. That's not what I'm looking for. You know, we could talk about it. Let's have a conversation about (laughs) how to do these dumb tab things that MLA wants you to do. Right. (laughs) I don't care about that stuff. Like what, what do you, what ideas are you sharing and how can we develop them? That's pretty cool. I didn't even know about that. I mean, I had a, a student in my class, if for one of the assignments, it's a food assignment and they have to argue for a new chapter in a book. It's a food book. And she said, this book needs a whole new chapter on racist food policies. And I was like, oh my God, nobody's ever said that in this class for this unit. And she's like, yeah, this food pyramid thing is totally racist. She's like, the dairy requirement is ridiculous. She's like, look at traditional cultures, you know, how many of them actually consume dairy? And, and the fact that you're forcing them, you know, lactose intolerant folks to consume da- this much dairy on a, on a daily basis, like who, who actually is this designed for? I'm like, Oh my, I just love, this is why I want to do it. This is why I want to do it. You know? Uh, Oh, uh, James, I'm sorry. I was responding to your point, but anyways, full disclosure though, James, it's not like I got a hundred percent response rate, you know, on this survey, but uh, it was double digits, James, and it was a hundred percent. They, they did like it. Yeah. And the ones who, who, who said a couple critical things because I did ask that question, I recognized most of them was because they weren't a hundred percent clear on how it's working. That's what it boiled down to. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just time I need to spend on it. Yeah. Joe, go ahead, jump in. I was going to add in James too. I think, I mean, I don't call my grading anything different. <laughs> I'm probably doing on grading or contract grading at some level, but the feedback I receive from students tends to latch onto the flipped class part and how I'm maybe not doing my job. A giant air quotes there is what I'm doing with my hands. Um, but the, if anything, the grading part where they, they, they always value like the, like the, the depth of feedback and the amount of feedback and the consistent feedback. So I think no matter what you call your grading um, or whatever system you happen to use, as long as you're giving feedback, I think it doesn't, it doesn't really matter because that, that's where the learning process happens, right? Trying, failing, getting feedback to try again. So you're not making the same mistakes. You're actually improving over time. That's our job, the giving feedback so they don't keep running in circles and don't improve, right? So as long as that's the intent that you have and they see that, I think it's it's powerful, right? That's like life-changing for a lot of people and for yourself too, right? Wait, what about the perfectionist mindset, Joe? In the chat, you said you wanted to go off. <laughs> oh yeah, no, like that's that's part of my day one conversations. And actually just what I just said about the learning process, like, failing is one step in that process. Like no matter how much you love it or hate it, you're going to get something wrong. You have to, you you can't learn without that happening. Yes. And so it, we can draw a nice analogy in STEM because the learning process is the scientific method. It's the same thing, right? It's you have an idea, you try it out. It goes wrong in some way. You try again and keep trying and trying with improvements, hopefully each time. Right. So that that's like day one discussion right there. 
And so over time, the conversation that can bring up with students that have the perfectionist sentences is, well, your, your sense of a failure of that one minus sign you forgot, you know, that, that's fine. That is a failure and it's okay. I, I do that still too. Right. And we also talk about the reality check, right. Of like, well, for some people, failures mean an F on a test, really like, like a full 0% or whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah. And so that it helps really prime and spark a lot of the discussions that we have. And it, it causes that 16 week long shift about you know, thoughts with respect to grading, um, you know, learning and teaching as a whole. And it helps deconstruct a lot of the anxiety tied into perfectionism and not getting the A, that magic 90% threshold that we've all been, I don't know, conditioned to believe is something meaningful. Right. So if you were my math teacher in high school, maybe I wouldn't have quit on math and I'd be a math teacher. You can still go back to math. You can take my classes. (laughs) Process is also our bread and butter, Jen, as compositionists, as readers, writers. Is Is that baked in? Is that a day one conversation for you or a day every day conversation for you? Yeah, and I think, um, like we were talking about earlier, doing something weird with your grading system sort of invites people into this conversation and invites the class and then kind of rethinking these things we take for granted about education and about grading. So yeah, the first couple of weeks of my class, it's a lot of upfront kind of conversations and labor, but it really pays off throughout the class and I think makes the class a lot easier, actually. But yeah, I actually have an opt-out clause an opt-out clause in my grading contract uh, in case somebody feels uncomfortable with it after the first couple weeks. But I find it that really there's not a lot of resistance or pushback. It's usually just the anxiety of, I don't know how this works. Can you explain it to me? So having like lots of moments for, I, I ask students like, based upon what you've done so far, what do you have left to complete? Like I, I do a lot of check-ins to make sure students always know how they they're doing in the class and what they've they've done um, so that that way it lessens the anxiety about grades because grades unfortunately grades still matter and we're just doing the best we can to ungrade and and think about ethical assessment practices in ultimately a graded university and college system so hopefully we can make some big changes so it won't always be that way but until that point, we are working within a paradox. Yeah. So I think I think we're getting close to wrapping up. And I I, I think I want to maybe pull this around. It doesn't sound like we've caught we, we can't let go of summative assessment, this sort of final letter grade that we have to stamp, you know, into whatever system we're using, you know, at the end of the semester. It sounds like formative assessments have become more primary in a lot of our classes than summative assessments. There's a lot more, like you're saying, Chad, you got a one, or even if you've got a two, this, there's a recursive sort of use or thinking about this. What can you apply forward? There's a lot of self-reflection. There's a lot of peer-to-peer feedback, a lot of us to peer uh, student feedback. There's also affective. We're assessing the affective domain in really interesting ways. This is the thing that I, as a young teacher, always struggled with when students, when I would, give that summative assessment on an essay and try to talk to them about it, wanting to be like, you can grow, you can learn, you can do better, like, let's move forward. And all they were saying to me was, but I worked so hard on this. I put so much time into this. And I would say, there's nowhere on my rubric that says you spent a lot of time. So I just can't tick that box. There's nothing in here that allows me to assess your life and all that stuff. 
So, so maybe as just a way to kind of wrap up, where any final thoughts on any one of these three, affective and our ability to bring in the affective, the formative, the, the, the cool new sort of promises of, of how, how much we get to engage with the formative, or just any final thoughts on kind of where Jen, you were just like, we still need to crush the summative or like the, what, where does the summative fit? into what, what we're kind of talking about here. So any final thoughts? Just kind of mobilize, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're trying to do, get these messages out. I want to say something about the formative because, you know, what Chad said about the zero one two system that he's using, you know, really shows me something about what I've been trying to do. And it's that, you know, the zero is it's, we got nothing, right? And then a one is needs work. And two is we're achieving what we're trying to achieve. And I feel like, you know, I've been giving a lot more since going to remote teaching and now online teaching and even thinking about coming back to campus and in person um, most of the time. I've been giving them like when there's a zero, uh, there's no submission, I would give a zero and then it would be kind of done, right? And I don't learn anything about my teaching when I do that. And I don't learn anything about the student situation or what they may be learning or not learning. They could have done a lot of the content, like covered a lot of the content, um, understood it, but just couldn't get that assignment in. And now I don't get any of that. And so I'm just thinking like, you know, I, I, I've been saying like, is there something going on here? Maybe something I should know. Do you want another chance to turn this in? And what I found is that it doesn't add a lot of time for me to grade those assignments when they come in late um, or, or to even provide feedback for those assignments when they come in late. But I do learn more about the student experience and I learn more about what that person's going through. And then I learn more about my own teaching and, and, and how I can more effectively, um, you know, get across the, the, the discipline specific content. And it's kind of like, you know, I, I do project-based learning as well. And I, I really appreciate that because there's the peer feedback and then there's the self-assessment and then ultimately, you know, my feedback to the student. And then with the project-based learning, there's, there's something that they produce that they can then share publicly at the end. And it goes somewhere, right? And I hear that a lot with what everybody's saying here with Joe and Jen and Chad about the reflections on the learning, right? It goes somewhere. It's not just that, I turned in this paper, I got this grade and I'm done. It's how is this going to help me with my next piece of writing? How is this going to help me in my next, you know, um, situation in life where, where I need to understand these principles of sociology to better navigate this or better understand the people around me. I, I just, I just love that. And so those are my final thoughts and um, formative all the way. Sean, I just, you mentioned uh, kind of being flexible and I just have to say like, I'm so much less stressed out when I don't try to police students into getting their work in on time, you know, because first of all, I have no business doing that because I don't know what's going on with their lives, you know, and, and I shouldn't be the one to decide whether or not they should make sacrifices with their life, I guess, to, to get work in for my class, the greatest class ever, right? Um, <laughs> no, but I'm way, way less stressed in the past where I would be like, well, you got to get this in on time if you want to get this kind of grade, you know, it, that's what our syllabus says, I got to be fair, blah, blah, blah. No, if, <laughs> I'll just accept it, you know, and I'll talk to you about what's going on. And I'll be honest, like, hey, it's week 12. You haven't done this much. I will accept it. But it's 
not looking very good, you know, and maybe this just isn't the semester. I'm going to be here next semester if you want to hang out and we can do it again together. But it didn't come together this semester for these reasons. And maybe it's not the best to try to force it just simply for your health, you know. Um, but yeah, just not not forcing it. And it has been so much uh, healthier. It's been less stressful and, and it's been more productive overall because I give them the reassurance that I'm going to accept it, you know, when it's the right time for you to do it. And then they know that that's there and that's less stress for them too at the same time. So that, that shift in mindset has been really big and it's been unfortunately relatively recent for me, I will admit. But again, Chad, they're coming from a system where they may have had to have bathroom passes, right? To even just go relieve themselves. I know. I know. Yeah. It's so, it's really frustrating, right? I, I mean, the things that, that we're doing that, it's like I was thinking about the fact that when I watch an Alfie Cohn video, you know, on how we don't have to grade people, I watch Alfie Cohn and he reminds me of Bernie Sanders. You know, he speaks with such conviction, like we don't have to do it this way. And, you know, when, when Bernie will talk about how you, in other countries, everybody gets health care. And then when we hear these things like, what, what's this other country of which you speak, you know? <laughs> and I, I, the first time I saw that Alfie Cohn video on, on we don't need to grade, you know, it's four, four minutes that blew my, blew me away. And he just said it as if it was the most obvious duh thing in the world. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta watch more of this video, you know? Yeah. That, that, that reminds me of Angela Davis and, and how she talks about the, how we do we really need prisons, right? That's a whole other podcast episode, but you know, that's uh, to the same kind of point that like, we need to really rethink what we're doing. And, and I always, I always talk about uh, this with other faculty, you know, when um, people ask me for, you know, advice about writing their syllabi or a certain lesson that they want to do. And if they have some kind of punitive policy, I'm always like, wow, why do you have that there? And, and and then if they can't answer or they're like, oh, well, you know, there's got to be something, there's got to be consequences and things like that. I'm like, well, does that replicate life outside of your classroom? And, and, and I think like the other part of that, you know, another question that I have when people have these certain policies that are punitive or are not really considering, again, the, the, the lives of the students is like, does that align with your teaching philosophy? You know, like if I ask you what your teaching philosophy is and you give me that statement, can you put that policy right up against it and say like, yeah, this is in perfect alignment. Most of the time, the, you know, it's often the case that it's not. Well, and Sean, just, you know, for folks who have served on hiring committees, right? If you, if you look at, if you look at the cover letter or you look at a, an applicant's teaching philosophy and you happen to, to also request syllabi, Oh, oftentimes there's a huge disconnect between those two things. It's like, apparently you didn't read what you just wrote in this statement. Cause yeah. Or they, yeah. or they don't have control over it. It's like it's the true. department forces you to have that stuff for the institution, or you went to a workshop and never took it out. You know? <laughs> but part of the, part of the interview process is a teaching demonstration usually. And that's where you can see a huge disconnect too. When it's like, Oh, I'm, you know, it's interactive and it's all discussion based. And I really want to get the students engaged. And then they lecture at you for 15 minutes and you're like, well, okay. Um, Hiring is another fascinating topic of assessment too. Because that's another situation where it's like you as the committee think you know what you're looking for and you're assessing against your pre-made view of how you see that being actualized and whether or not the person matches up. So it's like, how are you accounting for surprise? How are, in, in a good way. 
good yeah. surprise. <laughs> so how are you accounting for people who imagine outside the rubric? And so like all yes, these, yes. all these oh. assessments and, and like this idea of surprise and always this, this aspect of, of education, of unknowability and multiplicity, like it's, it's just really fascinating to me. And I love these conversations because I feel like I always learn and grow so much from them. So there's an opportunity for formative growth on our side too, Jen, right? And I, I think- Yeah, yeah. Because uh, assessment is, is about us. It's about our values and beliefs and how we see perfection and merit. Yeah, cool. Joe, do you have final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I know you do. endlessly, so many, so many endless thoughts. Um, I, know. <laughs> I would say like so many good things have been said already, of course. I think I do see need for summative assessments still. And I, I think, Jen, you put a really good transcript, transcript grade, right? Like that's that's the only grade I assign as a letter grade in any kind of traditional way in my class. Um, the final transcript grade for the course but I self summative assessments because they provide that kind of project like deadline that would exist out there in the world in a corporate industry or other academic setting. Right. And plus it ties naturally to how our content unit content stuff is like parsed out in physics. Right. So it's still mostly formative assessments the whole way through with every three to four weeks, like a unit test, unit test, unit test with lots of feedback. So there's a balance there between having so many formative assessments that the students are ready for the summative and they'll still get nervous. There'll still be anxiety around it. Right. But once they get used to the grading system and it's not with no, with no letter grades, right. Just, just points on correctness, lots of feedback, right? Like it, it works, it works wonders over time. And the structure of the formative assessments is really critical. Um, one I alluded to earlier in the chat was I have a lot of reflections. I call them metacognition notes of one due weekly. Uh, for the entire, like the whole semester for every student. And I could talk forever about those too, but I, I just got an email this morning from my student about I, I taught last year, she transferred. And this is what she wrote. I just dropped in the chat from the email. And the one of the things she exactly said was your use of metacognition notes has been an invaluable study tip for me in her upper division courses. So that power of self-reflection and having students realize that, oh, I, I own my own learning, actually. <laughs> and that's not me as a teacher, like trying to throw that responsibility off myself. But like when you when you've done, you know, you've done your job when the student realizes through your own class that I can take charge of my learning and this person's here to help me out with that. Like that, that's the shift that oh. like grade and points and physics content aside, I don't really care that much. I, I just want you to have that key to your life, basically. You know, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Joe. And I think what I what I'm getting out of this and I hope the audience is too is that no matter how you grade no matter how you assess it it, it is an opportunity to um have a conversation with our students yeah absolutely I didn't get to say my final thoughts but I think that's a good note to end on actually <laughs> let's talk forever and circles back to the beginning I know uh, I thought of like five other podcasts that we need to record based on this. <laughs> Can we Isn't just have an assessment case? podcast, please? <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought that's what this was. No, okay, yeah. Well, so, no, like a series. Yeah, exactly, like a series. I think that's that Sean or, and Curry. We have to assess this podcast now. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some notes, some metacognition notes. <laughs> or, or Jen, I think maybe you need to start a podcast that's that thing you did that helped all us learn. <laughs> <laughs>
That'd be awesome. Students and faculty engage topics. Dangerous topics need a safe space. Safe Topics Podcast is produced and engineered by Kelly Barnett. James Garcia handles our social media, promotion, and research. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and subscribe. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.